Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. Up first, he's absolutely committed a slime against humanity, it's Matt Morgan. Joey, last weekend I saw two street artists that got in a fight with each other and uh, I was pretty impressed it ended up in a draw. Hey! Oh, okay. Uh, that was like that. That was like that joke grenade of like, oh, it took a second to to go off. That was yeah, that was clever. I like pull that. the pin. One, two, three. Ha ha! Yes, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I, I love how genuine you make the ha ha. <laughs> it's very authentic. Yeah, the verisimilitude is off the off the charts here. All right. Up next, he didn't disguise a face down creature with Ward Two, but he did morph a face down creature and then give it Ward Two. It's Dana Roach. I just want to say, I think my favorite part of this show is telling dad jokes. We have kind of the same sense of humor, so he laughs at most of them. I knew it. I knew that's what you were going to do, man. I just, <laughs> I just knew it. Oh, no. Well, I'm sure that it's Matt's favorite part of the show, too, of course. So I mean, it's up there. It is up there for sure. I mean, it is kind of weird that we've been doing these dad jokes for like three, four years now. And I just thought it was going to be like a temporary thing. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's weird that we've been doing the dad jokes for three, four years now, and people have been listening to us throughout all of that <laughs> right, time. Right. That, we we open our show with scared puns. away all our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, also valid concern. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dana, what are we talking about on this week's episode? We're going to talk about the uh, ban list and whether uh, some things should be removed or added to it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a very, like... I think it's sort of baby's first clickbait EDH podcast yes. title, if I'm being perfectly <laughs> honest. Yeah. It's like, not a contentious topic at all. What are you guys talking about? The, the but we've never done it before, so... Yeah, the ban list is totally one of those things that gets people riled up. But yeah, um, uh, yeah th there was a reason that we wanted to get into this, but uh, we, we will save that reason for a quick moment because there are some shout outs that we want to get to before we dive into our main show. Up first, we got to thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for their terrific work on the post-production of the show. Thank you so much, Mana Curves. And we're proud to be part of Team Ultimate Guard now. They make some of the best accessories and deck boxes on the market. And as we gear up here for MagicCon Chicago, I'm actually sleeving up a brand new deck right now that I'm about halfway through with some katana sleeves. So uh, anyone who's going to be there, you'll have a chance to, to play against this deck and see it's all in our sweet Ultimate Guard equipment. I, I've been putting all of my decks into boulders for the pet. Like, I just, I love those boulders deck boxes. <laughs> like, Ultimate Guard is just like, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And Dana, I look forward to playing against your new deck. You say that now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, and if you would like to support Dana's new deck and whatnot, you can do so by liking, subscribing to this video on YouTube. You can subscribe to your local podcast app. You can leave a review, all free ways to support the show, which we definitely appreciate. Or you can also go to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord community for as little as $2 a month. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, including the weekly coveted patron shout out of the week. And this week, we want to give a very special thank you to Jonathan Ferriter or Jonathan Ferriter. I can't tell, but either way, uh, it's wonderful because there's so many different directions you can take this. Uh, I hope it's Ferriter because fritters are one of my favorite pastries. I knew you were going <laughs> to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy, but also like one of my favorite fritters is fritter seems forever from voodoo donuts in portland oregon i know we're getting way distracted but jonathan <laughs> it's all your fault for for all of this 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's the way that we should absolutely do our patron shoutouts from now on. This is your fault. You did this. <laughs> Jonathan, yeah, jo yeah. Jonathan Apples, John of Golds, Apple we're, Fritter, Jonathan we, we, Fritter. Here we, we go. We got to move on. Matt, Matt, we got to get into our main time. <laughs> it's the new Rorschach test of all bad name puns. <laughs> <laughs> we got to shut this down. We got some magic cards uh, to talk about. Whew, oh, man, dude. All right. So yeah, the reason that we're doing this uh, discussion of ban and unban um, isn't even because we think that the format like needs a shakeup or anything. To be honest, it actually came uh, from our previous episode when we did our episode 300 AMA Q&A. Um, one of the questions that we got before we recorded that episode was actually from Murph from the Command Zone, who asked if you could ban or unban a card, what would it be and why? He wanted to hear like, ooh, maybe that could be fun for discussion. And it turned out we kind of realized uh, that like, Dana, I think you suggested it was just like we could should we like we have a lot to say maybe like can we turn that to a, a whole show and that's kind of what this is like <laughs> we spent like 20 minutes talking about it during yeah. show prep and we're like well i guess this is half an episode right there we've already done just like off the cuff <laughs> we might as well just do an episode on it I mean, I, I would actually step in and correct you, Dana. We spent 20 minutes talking about one card that one person suggested. <laughs> you're, no, you're, you're right. It wasn't absolutely. even that we we're talking about as a whole yeah. episode. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Murph, this is a great question. It's I, I have a feeling this is going to be probably our most contentious topic that we've ever done. Probably. Uh, and also <laughs> probably the most that we yell at each other. So buckle in because uh, temperatures are going to rise. Oh, are they? Oh, man. I don't know. They might. I mean, this. The, I also know that our, our comment section also will be fruitful with um, a lot of feedback, too. So um, I'm prepared. I, I mean, yeah. So, like, I do want to ask, uh, like, oh, what was the card? But I do also want to state, like, first off that, like, <laughs> like we're not saying that we absolutely need these either. Like, no. I think we're all, yes. like, just baseline. We're pretty happy with where the format is at. Yes. And, like, there aren't, I think, particularly super strong feelings in either way. Uh, and, and so, like, I think that's just a, a good tone to set before the discussion begins. Unless, Matt, I'm reading your intentions wrong and that you're like, no, these need to be banned or unbanned or, or something like that. But I think oh, no, we're they, all, like, they do. Th this is, like, a concrete argument that all of these should be unbanned that we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, un refutable evidence that uh, no that's not true at all um i, I agree joey absolutely that um this is kind of for the sake of conversation we are happy and at least i personally am happy uh, mm. i don't get strong feelings one way or another because i understand the why uh, and who certain bands or unbands are, are targeted for and so to me that kind of influences my impressions at least whenever the ban list does change yeah, that's a, a nice way to say it. And of course, the uh, Rules Committee has their format philosophy document about why certain cards do get banned or not. Um, you know, it's never just off of a, a single metric. Like, you know, if one card might be banned because of its power and ubiquity, sometimes another card might be banned because of like its consistency and ubiquity. And so it's like not all just one axis or anything like that, or like paying attention to the new player experience. There's a lot of interesting stuff to go over there. But yeah, in general, we're kind of, we're, we're just sort of vibing. I hope that this is an interesting chill conversation but um but yeah <laughs> i don't know if you could say we're just vibing when talking about the ban list <laughs> right yeah well, okay no, genuinely though like I, I think a lot of people look for consistency in the ban list and then they ask well why is this band and not that but like i do kind of feel like the governing principle of the ban list is like did it harsh the vibes <laughs> like like i'm not even kidding i think that that's kind of like there's sort of an emotional logic to the ban list a lot of the time is kind of how i feel about it so like really that's where i'm coming at this discussion from <laughs> well and yeah joey that's actually really good and, and there's bullet points that I, I really appreciate that from the philosophy document that I think we can kind of summarize real quick here with a few points. So, so one of the first ones is cost severe resource imbalances, cards like limited resources where, you know, 
people can only have so many things out there and oftentimes decks are taking advantage of that. Uh, maybe they're blowing something up and then replacing it with their own resource and just massive imbalance there. Another bullet point allows players to win out of nowhere. Uh, people like seeing things coming and sometimes cards like Coalition Victory Alternate win conditions are sometimes contentious depending on the play group. And so Coalition Victory definitely falls into the winning out of nowhere type of category there. But also preventing players from contributing to the game in a meaningful way. That's one that just for me personally has a huge importance because cards like Leovold Emissary of Trust, hmm. it just absolutely locks players out of the game and truly does prevent people from contributing because they're never just getting resources for the rest of the game once they get set up. Yeah, um, one of the ones is cause other players so they must play a certain card, um, even though they are also problematic. That was kind of the deal with primetime a little bit, Primeval Titan back in the day. There was, it was a football that folks were, were concerned about taking from someone else to see how much you could abuse it before they would abuse it more. Um, are very difficult for other players to interact with. That's kind of what recurring nightmare is. There's really no way to respond to it once it hits the field. Mm. Um, they interact poorly with the multiplayer nature of the format. Um, you have stuff like trade secrets here where yeah. in, in a two-player game, there's a natural conclusion. In a three- or four-player game, what you wind up with is two players who just do everything and everyone else is left so far behind they can't really respond to it. And things like lead to repetitive gameplay will be the last one. And I, I think that's kind of what Golos was to a degree. It was just a, a card that was... The, the better version of whatever you would be doing for your commander for the most part. Yeah, and another big point that isn't in those bullet points, but like a, a core thing that I know, Matt, you've repeated a lot from the philosophy document is that like, obviously the format can be broken. We believe games are more fun if you don't. Um, and, and a lot of like the, the ban list is sort of like serving as like a scaffolding for the players have a mutual understanding of what is this game going to be? Because, you know, you can't start games with like, oh, are my opponents going to have the moxin <laughs> and things like that? That's a, a tough <laughs> new player experience, for example. Um, and another thing that I appreciate from the list as well is when they state that like the primary focus of the list is on cards that are problematic because of their extreme consistency, ubiquity, or their ability to restrict others' opportunities. Um, and it's, you know, keeping an, keep other folks in mind um and so yeah there are a lot of different axes to to evaluate all of this on but there there are a lot of things here that again just kind of feedback to just like yeah you know vibes <laughs> kind of vibes here and like if you want to look to, to well actually this list like you can there, there's plenty of of things that would perhaps technically qualify as as hits on this list that are still legal and maybe there's some cases for some cards that are on the ban list that can be made like the format is so big and so diverse and so complicated that like narrowing it down to a, a single list of bullet points that are going to be dead accurate is just not going to happen. Well, and, and so many of the people from the rules committee, the, the commander advisory group, the, the most probably repeated phrases, if you have rules that work for your play group, follow those. This is for people that are playing with people that don't have a, a play group necessarily. Mm. This is like you said, Joey, it's a scaffolding. It's a framework for what to expect when you're going into a completely unknown environment. Yeah. That way, it, people are kind of brought, caught off guard significantly less. You know, I, I want to know that you know if when we go to Magic Con Chicago here soon, <laughs> we all have a good baseline of what to expect. And you know, the, the play group that I might have with my friends isn't going to invade into other people's games that they may not enjoy that type of gameplay. It, it kind of feels to me like social mores or, or something that's just like sort mm -hmm. of like, <laughs> I don't know, when I go into a basketball game, 
I, I know that like there are certain rules, but then also that like there won't just be like weird stuff happening either. Just like no one's going to pull out a bunch of magic cards on, on the basketball court either. Because like that's not I, I don't think that'd be against the rules, but it would be weird. Right. And like that's kind right, of another right. thing that I interpret yeah. some of these. Well, as. and there used to be a sport called slam ball where it was basically basketball with trampolines located all over the place so that you could like have a three point dunk. If slam lie, ball awesome. is, is if slam ball is the type of magic you like to play where it's it is the same thing kind of but there's some tweaks. There's a reason slam ball wasn't near as popular as the NBA because it was kind of a more niche audience and so if that works for you and your play group you still can understand that okay well the NBA and that those rules that's kind of what is governing the sport of basketball not slam ball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I like that the rules committee is just like, listen, we want to be as conservative about a bans as, as we can. Like, we're not trying to ban everything. Like, that wouldn't necessarily be good for people either if the, we just flooded that list. Um, but, you know, just like having a baseline. And if you want to modify off of that, that's cool. But we all know yeah. what the game is. We all start at Ford Life, seven cards in hand, draw one card per turn. There are things that, like, you need to know about a game when you enter into it. And it's nice to have some extra stuff as the ban list on top of that. And um, I guess with all of that, <laughs> we've kind of been dancing around it, but... Um, I think we dive into yours, Matt. I think we dive into the card that got us talking for 20 minutes. The, the and we card decided, that maybe set we make this a show all off. This. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I have a theory. And, and again, I feel like I need to repeat this. I'm not super sold one way or another. If this card stays banned, I'm fine with that. And if it comes unbanned, I also understand why they would have that. But I also think that Primeval Titan, it, it is prime time for prime time to make a return to prime time. Hmm. Um, I, so Primeval Titan is banned card, uh, and there's a very, very good reason why it is banned. So Primeval Titan is four green green for a 6-6 six, six giant with trample, but the problematic ability here is whenever Primeval Titan enters the battlefield or attacks, search your library for up to two land cards, put them on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Everybody can kind of get on board with why this card is banned, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, to the point that when you said, "I, you know, this would probably be my pick if I unban something, my reaction was, <laughs> um, so like, yes, very much, I think. <laughs> so here, here's my argument for why I think Primeval Titan, if or so I think it kind of hinges on if we're printed today. Green Mythics in 2023 all did some wild and crazy things. Uh, I think that this kind of fits in with what things have been doing. Like Apex Devastator, to me, is a card that accrues significant value. You're, you're, you're cascading so many different times. And in a format where Dockside is a card that people want banned, but still hasn't been, expropriate some other just monumental, powerful things, I don't think Primeval Titan is that fearsome when you compare it to a lot of other things that people are already doing in the format. I, I'm I'm gonna draw. There's a big difference between Apex Devastator and Primeval Titan. Like there's there's a, there's a big difference there. I don't I don't know. I, I, so to me, what the arguments, for example, like you can blink it. Oh, you can do all these different things, but you're still you're going out of your way to blink a six mana card. I you, you, there are other bannably good things. Like when you start to say, well, you can blink it. But like, when was the last time you saw Dead Eye Navigator, which was the main th like offender with Primeval Titan when it was legal? I actually don't feel that blinking is the only problem with prime time. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know if we're like moving into rebuttal territory already. I don't want to ambush you, It's Matt. a conversation. We're <laughs> okay, all going to get okay. mad at each other. <laughs> I hope not mad. Um, but like my concern is much more like its effects on your deck construction. Like as sure. soon as you've got primeval Titan in your deck, the fact that it can search you up, like if you're in green and black, then immediately you've got your Urborg and Cabal coffers and the next turn you're probably getting even more stuff. 
Uh, it can find you your Field of the Dead. It can get you your Thespian Stage and Dark Depths combo. Um, if you need to protect yourself, it can go and grab your Glacial Chasm at a moment's notice. If you need to protect your stuff, it can grab your Yavamaya Hollow. Sure. It feels to me like it's a thousand spells in one. And that is more of a toolbox utility that is uh, concerning and problematic and therefore has a lot of ripple effects on the way that the rest of your deck has to be shaped when you are playing it. In addition to the fact that it feels like if you're playing green, you probably feel like you need to play it because of how good it would be. So I, I guess my question back to that is you say it's a utility toolbox type of thing that kind of gets out of hand. Is that so when Protean Hulk got unbanned, which was a card that previously was banned for a long time, when it dies, you can search your library for, I believe it's mana value up to six or less and put those creatures on the battlefield. That was unbanned for the reasons of it was going to allow people to have some creative deck building that was going to get expressed. And, and they had to ban, ban Flash because of the effects that it had on CEDH, which totally get. But I, I struggle to believe that that argument can be applied to Protean Hulk, but not Primeval Titan. And also... You're talking about black. You already have tutors. You, like you can be tutoring for a lot of those cards already in black. You can, but like the spells that are tutors versus a creature, like those are two different levels of abusability. So it, it, the difference here, I the the difference here, I think, is for whatever reason, there's this nebulous tag that no one can see on a card that that puts it into either people will have self-control with it or they won't. <laughs> Paradox Engine is banned entirely because it had the tag that said no self-control required. So a gazillion people jammed it into a gazillion decks and wasted everyone's time doing things with Paradox Engine <laughs> that didn't advance the game state and just advanced how much phone battery you use waiting for them to end their turn. <laughs> Tell us how you some really feel, card, man. Whoa. <laughs> but, but some cards, like like Protein Hulk, for whatever, whatever reason, has a tag that says, show some self-control and don't play where it's not appropriate. I don't know what those things are or why folks make those decisions, but they do. And primetime, when it was when it was legal, and I believe would continue to if it came back, be a card that people had no self control over, and they would jam it in everywhere, appropriate or not, and do all kinds of things that, like they did Paradox Engine. I, I, I and there's no way to quantify that <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> but it's a thing that happens for whatever reason. It happens with Magic cards, and I I think primetime would fall on the Wee! Let's just jam them <laughs> every deck, and like I think that's how it would be. So I, I I'm gonna push back that like you're you're not getting anything from it. Like the paradox engine turns that everybody talks about, where you, you do a lot of things, but like it doesn't really result in anything. I think primeval Titan, There's a lot of shuffling involved, and that absolutely has a detriment to players' experience because like you're you're shuffling a lot. You're doing a lot of tutoring. Social effect, yeah, absolutely. That that's repeatable, and like from a, a experience, just like you're in the game, and one person shuffles for 13 minutes every 20 minutes. Yeah, that gets absolutely boring. And I, I understand that argument. But also, you're still accruing resources that are going to apply to the next turn, whereas the the, the Paradox Engine, that all just kind of falls flat. And so... I, I'm just talking about how the fact that, like, with primetime, people would put it in places that wouldn't be appropriate because they wouldn't have the self-control to do so, just, unlike with Protean Hulk. Sure, sure. I guess... So I my, my parting thoughts on this before we move on to some of your cards, because I... I, you all have cards too. My, my parting thought is just like, I, I think Sylvan Primordial was the real offender and Primetime died for the sins of Sylvan Primordial. Oh, I, I, I reject that out of hand, Matt. Oh, okay. like, th this card not being Sylvan Primordial is but something being worse than this card doesn't mean that this card isn't still bad. Absolutely. And, and there's arguments that you can make for all of those. And so I'm just laying out my thought process there. 
Um, again, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not sold on primetime going one way or the other. I'm, I'm just like, I, I fundamentally, Dana, I agree with you. It's a note that I had put down here as well, that like there are a lot of cards out there that do have some emergent or like kind of <sighs> play patterns, to, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, some mass land destruction stuff, Draineth Magistrate kind of stuff. We've even noticed that we are taking like Cyclonic Rifts out of our own decks lately these days. Um, or, or even like Turgrid, which I'm sure would come up if Matt could ban a card. Um, but like Turgrid is the thing where I'm just like, I don't like, I, I just don't want to do that to other people. Um, and Dana, I do agree with you that I don't think that Primeval Titan would enjoy that status. I don't think it would self-regulate. I think it is a little bit too versatile, too like engaging both to the spikiness and the timminess that I don't think it being in those timmy areas would be able to like control the spikiness that it could just be enjoyed so casually. Like if, and we don't need to give landfall decks any extra uh, extra stuff. They're good enough already. Kind of kind of kind of where I'm at with that. I, I fundamentally agree, agree with you there, Dana. So Dana, what's a card of yours then? So I don't want to take all the heat this episode. I want some comments to be directed at you. So what would it be a card be that you think maybe could be worth thought experimenting with to unban? And to be clear, this is entirely a thought experiment because, like, I, I honestly don't have any real objections to any of the cards in the list and, mm -hmm. and the reason i don't is is my argument would be i don't think any of the cards in the list make for better games mm -hmm. i don't know if i could argue for banning them if they weren't banned but like i don't think the game is would be better off adding them back into the pool i don't think you walk away from most of these cards if they were legal going man i'm glad the person played that that made for a good experience i don't i don't think any of them generate that that being said, if I was, you know, Liam Neeson and you've taken my family hostage and I need to choose a card <laughs> <laughs> to unban and there's no option given, um, Iona Shoot of Amiria would be the card I think I would go with. Um, okay. Interesting. Six and triple white. Um, it's, it's an angel flying 7-7. Seven, seven. When it ETBs, you choose a color and your opponents can't cast spells of the chosen color. Um, okay, so... So it's stopping people from casting spells. So how do you think this comes off the list then? So here's the reason I think it comes off the list. Um, back when it was played, it didn't even necessarily see that much play. Mm. But I remember friends years ago building their, their kind of angel kindred decks. And one of the problems they had was there weren't a lot of really good angels to put in decks. I mean, or the ones that were good all cost a ton of mana. Um, they were very high costed. So like, if you're like, well, I got to run an eight drop anyway, I might as well uh, put Avison in. And I guess Iona's real good too. If I'm stuck running things like that, I might as well play that over, you know, Artacar Valkyrie or something. I think today, when we're looking at the amount of creatures of that type for your decks, and Iona primarily got played in, in those kindred lists, there's so many good angels that have gotten printed in the last few years. Giada, Righteous Valkyrie, uh, Battle Angels of Tear, Resplendent Angel, there's so many things that you can put in your deck to round out that list without having to even consider Iona um, that I, I think it would self-regulate. I think not only does it does it create a game state that makes you like feel kind of bad, but you also just like, I can just run this thing that's, that's advancing my board and is fun versus the thing that's locking people out. So I do think this would be a card that would self-regulate if you unbanned it. It just wouldn't see much play. I do remember like when it was banned, we were all kind of like, oh, because of how little play it was seeing at that time. Mm -hmm. I actually almost kind of wonder the opposite of what you just said there, though, Dana, in that like since angels have gotten so many new toys, especially in New Capenna, I wonder if that would have 
potentially reinvigorated some attention to this really big brash angel. Um, and so like, I, I wonder if my concern actually goes a little bit, it dips into the opposite direction of yours. Even though you're right, there are better angels. I wonder if the fact that angels got more love would have sent more love to this one. Well, I, I think they've gotten better and they've gotten more efficiently costed in a lot of cases too. Mm -hmm. So again, we're at a situation where like, oh, my deck is no longer forced to dirtle around until turn you know, seven, eight, nine, when I can actually cast them, I can actually cast them on turns two and three and four and just begin advancing my board state. And, and so when it comes to the point where you could normally have cast Ion in the past, you can do things to win games now versus before when you were just starting to play at the eight and nine drop point with angels. I think nowadays, even if it did invigorate that, that thought process, I think people would find, oh, I'm just doing too much stuff with this deck to want to cast this on turn eight. See, I, Dana, even though you disagreed with me with my card, I'm actually going to agree that I, I think that if you're looking at the top 40 angels or so, I, I don't know really if Iona makes the cut anymore in those angel decks. I think if mm. folks are putting it into decks, it's because they intentionally want that ability. Sure. But that's a completely separate deck altogether. Yeah. And I don't know how many of those decks there are anymore. I, I would hope that this card would kind of self-regulate it back out of getting back into decks unless they were at a certain play power but yeah I, I i i remember how oppressive the ability felt back then i think players are a little bit more educated a little more wise to running a little bit more interaction and i hate to say player more removal because that was kind of the the finger point pointing and, and victim blaming of of decks but because i want to truly can lock players out of games and that is completely unfun it goes against one of the big tenets that we just mentioned um, where people aren't really able to play and participate in the game yeah, that, that's ultimate. Like, I, if this was unbanned, I don't know that I would blink an eye necessarily because we've experienced the format with it already. And I don't recall it being mm -hmm. like, I, I agree that this does have to me sort of that draineth magistrate. Like, I think you'd only see it in the places like in certain, it would self-regulate. I, I do agree with the, the argument there for sure. So that's why I wouldn't be too bothered. But I, this is ultimately like a, a new player experience on this one just feels. Absolutely. That, and that's my concern too. The, the new player experience for a lot of these cards that, that are banned, I'm like, okay. I, I'm, I can get it for that reason. Yeah, that, that alone is going to scare some people off and we're not acquiring new new players when, when that's kind of happening. But it, like Dana, I do fundamentally agree like with your argument that like if we want evidence of a card that has self-regulated, I think this strongly fits that bill. So I, I want to hear what Joey's pick here for this is, but I, I think first we need to take care of some business and challenge some stats. Hey, yeah, I suppose we do. Why does it feel in 2024 that when you take the segue, it's more of a polite, <laughs> we've gotten less mischievous about this, and I feel like you're lulling me into a false sense of security? <laughs> That's just a casual segue versus like a theft of a segue. I, I feel like you're planning something when you're so nice about it, but yes, there are, there, there's so much data on EDH rec. Uh, but we don't always agree with all of it. So we'll get right back to more of this discussion and uh, my pick of a thing that I think could potentially be unbanned after we challenge those stats after this quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be successful. I'm not sure where that came from, but in my experience, the best things in life always take a little work and they're always worth that work. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether with friends, work, your significant other, or really anyone. I'm in a very happy relationship right now, and I can say with certainty that the reason it's working is because of the work we've both done on ourselves. We've learned positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it's empowered us to be the best versions of ourselves we can be. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com EDH today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash EDH. So I was just talking about angel typal decks with Iona, and the card I'm going to challenge tonight is one that just hammered me uh, playing against an angel list earlier. Um, Bond of Discipline is only in about 1% of white decks. It's in about 9,000 decks in EDH rec. Four and a white for a sorcery. Tap all creatures your opponents control. Creatures you control gain a lifelink until the end of turn. Now, if you're playing a white weenie list, that probably isn't that effective. But if you're playing something in white that is playing any kind of sizable creatures at all, it's an absolute beating in the right deck. In this situation, the board state was a little bit clogged up. We were all worried about every deck but the angel deck because the person had no way to poke through. And being in Boros, there was no overruns we were worried about. So, so they were contained until Bond of Discipline came down. And suddenly no one had any blockers. And one person got knocked out. And someone got chunked down to half health. And the Bonds player gained so much life that there was no chance of them dying on a crackback either. And they cleaned up the last two players on the following turn. Um, again, it's not going to be something I want to play in like a deck filled with 1-1 soldiers. But if you are playing something filled with big, decent-sized beaters and don't have access to green for a true overrun, the card is game-swinging for sure if you are playing creature beat-style lists and you should take a look at it. It's an easy one to overlook because it was uh, uncommon in one of the many sets we give get every single year. Um, I missed it entirely too, and, and I will not make that mistake again after losing a game to it. Dana, this this card gives me huge Gitzeri Monk vibes from the Baldur's Gate set, which <laughs> sure, yeah, it was also like especially backbreaking when I played it in that limited environment. But I keep on looking at that card and I'm like, why haven't I put this one into a deck too? That's the Flash Monk that it when it enters, it taps all of your opponent's stuff, so you can use it defensively and you can use it offensively so that people can't block you and like yeah these are both really good like simple uncommons that are easy to glean over but like especially if you're playing on a budget and you just need a way to absolutely break through they will do it all right joy what's your challenge for us this week my challenge here i actually uh made a joke about the card slime against humanity uh at the beginning of the show but uh the challenge here that i've got is from our listener simeon dickman who wrote to us via email about slime against humanity and it's early data yet. It's a very, very new card. But uh, Simeon pointed out that there are a couple of weird Nonbo-esque things happening on uh, the, the deck data information for Slam Against Humanity so far. And we want to nip that in the bud before it takes off too much, I guess. So really quickly, the Slam Against Humanity card is a very interesting uh, new green version of those. You can have any number of cards, uh, any number of these in your deck type of cards. It's a green three mana sorcery that creates a zero zero green ooze creature token with trample and then gives it plus one plus one counters equal to two plus the total number of cards that you own in exile and in your graveyard that are oozes or that are named slime against humanity so bunch of spells making a whole bunch of oozes and that's very cool but what simeon points out is that certain cards that are so far showing up in about a third or a fifth of the decks that are including slime against humanity they're playing stuff like garrick's uprising or elemental bond which are cards that can draw you some stuff when a creature with power three or greater or a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield 
And the problem that Simeon points out is that what's really happening here is that a creature with power zero is entering the battlefield, which wouldn't trigger that. And then later you're putting counters onto it. But by that time, it's already too late. Like, you know, you're not checking any state-based effects. The zero zero isn't going to die mid-spell or whatever, but it doesn't technically count as a creature with power three or four entering the battlefield. Uh, so that is a little bit of a non-bow. If you want the Garrick's Uprising just for the trample, I totally, okay, sure, that makes sense. But those aren't going to draw you cards if you're playing this as one of your primary strategies. And that's an important thing to point out. Yeah, catching those kind of non-bow situations where things don't really work with just because of the timing of it, it's very important to keep in mind. So that's, that's a really good catch. So I'm going to wrap us up here. So I have a challenge from a new commander from Murders at Karlov or Markov, whichever manner it is, at the big <laughs> fancy house. Um, there's a murder there. The set's here. And Delny Streetwise Lookout is a legendary creature from this set. So two and a white for a 2-2 human scout says creatures you control with power two or less can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. And then if an ability of a, a creature you control with power two or less triggers, the ability triggers an additional time. So this deck, if you look at the typical deck people are building so far, full of very small creatures with ETB abilities, that's cool and all. But then you kind of have to wonder to yourself, well, how does this deck that's all about small creatures win? If you want to win through combat damage, just because you have small creatures with evasion doesn't mean they have to stay small creatures. Um, you can go to combat, you can attack, and you can have them you know, not be able to block by the bigger creatures, and then pump them all up. So I have a twofer, actually. So two cards that aren't really showing up in very many decks, if at all, are Mirror Entity and Jazal Goldmane. Mm. These are instant speed buffs for your army that you can do after blockers have been declared, which sometimes may not be very many blockers at all. Mirror Entity is one is two and a white for a 1-1 one, one changeling that has, you can just pay X for until end of turn, creatures you control have base power and toughness, XX and gain all creature types, or Gisal Goldmane is a 4-4 four, four for four mana with first strike, and you can pay three white-white for attacking creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of attacking creatures, which probably is going to be a lot considering it's kind of that white weenie deck that you kind of see in 60 card formats. Both of these cards are absolutely fantastic. You can, still can benefit from Delny's evasion ability, but also you're gonna be able to deal way more than just two damage per creature because of these instant speed buffs. I like both of these cards. Mere Entity is showing up in 19% of Delny decks and Giselle Goldmane isn't even on the page. And so both of these are going to be ways to turn your small creatures into not so small creatures and be able to deal a boatload of damage with that hard to block evasion. I love those cards so much. These are two of my favorite finishers. I've got them in my token deck and they're just yeah. they're just pristine, just lovely ways to <laughs> turn a board full of one ones and two twos into something that can actually end a game. So Matt, super uh, cosign on your challenge here. Awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, that I think moves us into the rest of our show here. Um, we'll probably talk about like any hypothetical, like, would you ban this card a, a little bit later, but there was, uh, you know, Still one more of us to talk about a card that hypothetically would we unban it, and that was me. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll delay to answer your question now, <laughs> I guess here, about what would the card be that I potentially nominate. And I think like as I've thought about it, the card Sway of the Stars recently has kind of been giving me world fire energy. And Dana, I know that this is something that you've kind of felt a little bit recently as well. Uh, but real quick, Sway of the Stars is a 10 mana sorcery. Each player shuffles their hand, graveyard, and permanence they own into their library, then draw seven cards, and each player's life total becomes seven. So a big reset, but like very plainly, very obviously, when you cast this spell, you're going to float some mana and you're going to have some stuff left over afterwards, which isn't, it's just not like, all right, you've reset everything for everyone else, but you get an advantage after. So like pretty powerful. I get it. But 
I don't know, it gives me world fire energy too, where I'm just like, but do I care? It's 10 mana, I don't know. Uh, so that, that's kind of, I'm nominating it. What do you guys think? I mean, I, I understand why it's banned because one simple spell, it, world, world fire at least like stops everything from happening, but Sway of the Stars, it makes everything feel like the entire game that had happened up until that point didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing mattered until Sway of the Stars happened. Which sucks. I totally agree. A, it sucks. It's such a hard reset. And it, yes, Obliterate, Worldfire, all those types of cards in Red 2, they all kind of do the same thing. But I don't know. For some reason, Sway of the Stars, it just, you want to reset the game, but not really reset the game because this is what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I made the point about like cards not making the game better. I, I don't think anyone walks away from a game that's ended with Sway of the Stars going, that was super cool, and I'm glad I got to sit there and have that happen. <laughs> sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will also say, uh, unlike Primetime, and I'm not, I'm not like trying to keep coming back to that <laughs> to, to make fun of Matt, I, I think if Primetime wasn't banned, I would see a lot of Primetime. I think if Sway of Stars was unbanned, I wouldn't see Sway of Stars. Yeah. I, I, it's one of those, I think people would just wouldn't play it, or at least they wouldn't play it in the circles I play. And I, in even against people I don't know at events. I just don't think people would be jamming Sway of Stars for the same reason they're really not jamming Worldfire. And I, I do think they would with, with Primeval Titan. So while I don't think it makes the format any better having it legalized, I just don't think I would see it if it was. Yeah, Worldfire's unbanned uh, eventually landed it into 5,457 decks. Uh, that's currently where it's at. Um, and it and, and feels like one of those spells where like, all right, you did it and you can abuse it. Absolutely. And then... Um, and then you're kind of like, oh, well, I guess I did it. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like, uh, yeah, I, I think it is, again, a kind of going back to that self-regulating argument, maybe, mm -hmm. um, which is why it, it feels like, ah, you know, I don't I don't think it would uh, have a big splash compared to like if primetime came off the ban list, like the, the, the community's going a little bit, a, a wee bit crazy that day. <laughs> I mean, I, anytime you see any change to the ban list, the community goes a little bit crazy that day anyways. So fair enough. Okay, so so we've all three of us, we've gotten to talk about cards that we wanted to ban or we thought we could unban but if you had to ban a card what would either of you two contribute to that do you think anything is needing to be banned even dana uh, this one's tough because i'm like i'm trying to think outside my own little box like i i don't like mana crypt at all mm, mm -hmm. but i also recognize that there's a there's a ecosystem namely cedh where it is a big part of that format and it is not remotely a problem mm -hmm. um so I'm trying to think of like the bigger picture here and think about things that maybe wouldn't impact that end of the pool. Um, I keep coming back to Cyclonic Rift and it's not a problem at all. I don't think Cyclonic Rift is a problem, but I also don't think it's a good time for most people, particularly newer players. It is so one-sided. It is so backbreaking. It also doesn't even win the game necessarily right away, although it makes it so you are probably going to win in the next couple turns. Um, I don't think it leads to good play patterns. I don't think it makes games fun. So like, that's just the one I keep coming to, even though I'm not, I'm not making an argument that it's a problem, but like if they ban Cyclonic Rift tomorrow, mm -hmm. I, not a single tear would be shed for me <laughs> about it no longer being in the format. See, I, I think the argument for Cyclonic Rift staying unbanned is compared to Sway the Stars that we just talked about. Sway the Stars, you can't cast it, untap and win. Whereas Cyclonic Rift... Yes, you are able to essentially wipe the board from the other players, undo a lot of what they did, but you're also going to untap and you're going to, at least you should be winning the game Absolutely. pretty quickly after that. Sway the Stars, you don't, you're not winning the game anytime soon after that resolves. I, I actually don't agree with you on, on that one, Matt, but, but. Okay. 
Well, just like the way that Sway the Stars can be abused has a, a lot of those same like upheaval uh, kind of si- or sunder type of situations uh, that, that feel like you, you can float a lot of mana between those things and end up with a board that is a lot more powerful than what anyone else is going to be left with. Um, and so like, I, I think you can actually, but not quite to the same speed. Well, upheaval is but... also banned, so. Well, that, uh, okay. <laughs> but, but, yeah. Then yeah. <laughs> so you get my point. <laughs> And again, I, I don't feel super strongly about this, and, and I, I don't walk away from games be like, Tychonic Rift is so unfair, and it really shouldn't be in the format, because I, I don't think that. But I, I, I think if it wasn't around, I just don't think it would make anything worse, and I think there would be probably more interesting games without it in the format. Um, so that's that's my pick here. Joey, what's, what's yours for a card that you'd like to see? If you had to pick one that was no longer part of our ecosystem, what would it be? I mean, yeah, like, I feel like obviously when a discussion like this comes up, Cyclonic Rift and especially Dockside Extortionist are the tip of everyone's tongues. At this point, Cyclonic Rift, like, has been around for so long mm-hmm. that it, it it feels like the conversation wears its own self out, I guess. Like, if it was going to be banned, we've already eclipsed the point where that would have needed to happen is kind of how I feel about it. And I do think that, like, to an extent, those cards regulate themselves well enough. And especially with Rift specifically, they're the kind of cards that, like, I don't know, we've got more Raise the Palisade and Damning Verdict and other one-sided board wipes recently that make me feel the Siren's Call of Cyclonic Rift a little bit less recently. Sure. So even though like Cyclonic Rift did occur to me when it came to like, if you had to ban something, I don't think that I felt very strongly towards that. Um, honestly, like for a while, I kind of thought that Bolas of Citadel maybe had some Paradox Engine energy, but I've moved away from that feeling too. I guess, and there are some legends that I'm just like, uh, you know what? There's no such thing as a fair Corvold deck. What is that? What is that thing doing? Um, but <laughs> I think ultimately, I kind of circle back to the Mana Crypt that you mentioned earlier, Dana. Yeah, I mean, Mana Crypt is it's it's such a contentious card because, like Dana said, it's there's a whole ecosystem of CEDH players where some decks kind of depend on Mana Crypt to really function and develop the game the way that the the meta of of CEDH has shaped out, whereas in casual tables, it really is such a warping card, and just, just I mean, it's so hard to really get a read on Mana Crypt because it just, <laughs> just the sides of the spectrum have such diverging opinions on that card. Like, like I guess let me put it this way: like Mana Crypt and Soul Ring, obviously early fast mana that can have a warping effect on a game. Not always, but it it can. Mm-hmm. Um, and Soul Ring, I look at that card and I read like there's a history to this card. It helped shape and make the format of EDH what the format of EDH now is. It was like if you ban Soul Ring, suddenly all the precons that Wizards has ever printed are like yeah yeah not legal anymore. Like that feels like a hmm, no <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm willing to give Soul Ring a pass for the the what it's done. But then I look at Mana Crypt and I'm like, but then babes, why is you here? <laughs> that that's kind of the feeling, I guess. Like there, it feels like the history is something that kind of informs. Uh, my, my feelings about this one when it comes to like a Sol Ring versus Mana Crypt argument. And I don't know that Mana Crypt has the same history that would make me feel like I'd give it a pass. So I kind of look at that one a little bit more critically and I'm just like, if you were gone, I wouldn't be sad about that. See, I, I agree that if if it were gone, we wouldn't be sad about it. But also you, you talk about how Cyclonic Rift, the, the time has elapsed on there. It's, it's kind of like Hall of Fame baseball players. Mm. You're only allowed to be voted on for so long and then you drop off the ballot after that. Mana Crypt has been around way longer than Cyclonic Rift. And so the the window has definitely passed then, I, I guess, just to, if you got to push back against my votes, I'll, I'll push back against yours a little bit. But, but I do agree that there's arguments to be made for both sides of Mana Crypt. 
And, and I guess I mean more like what Mana Crypt has done for magic in general is different than what a card has done for EDH as a format. And that, that's kind of a distinction. Sure, sure. But I do actually, Matt, this is something I, I, I wanted to say earlier when it came to the primetime discussion. You mentioned that if primetime was printed today, then it probably like wouldn't get immediately struck with a banhammer, for instance. And I, I think I agree with you there if it was printed today. But the problem is that like the histories of cards actually do mean a lot to me, which is why I feel the way I feel about Soul Ring. Whereas like primetime, we already know, <laughs> like we already know what that card has and can do. So even if it was originally printed today, it might not get banned. The fact that we know what it can do, like that that has ramifications into the way that we would uh, deal with an unbanning like that. Um, so that, that those histories do matter to me. So with that said though, do you think and maybe to Dana too, do you think if they printed Soul Ring today, it would be banned immediately? If it had never been printed before and they, they made Soul Ring in the new Modern Horizons set? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so it, yeah, there's just that perspective. It, it's so, I, I, not wild to me, but it's, 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 it's funny almost that like we see cards that, oh yeah, this is just the most played card in the format and nearly every deck has it in there. Yeah. But if it were printed today, it would absolutely be banned even though people don't really blink an eye. Well, they, they blink. They're like, oh, turn one Sol Ring. Cool. Mm. But like, <laughs> if it, the inverse happened, um, it just, people be like, okay, that's really good. But so yeah, just the history and how it works both ways on on these different cards. So the, the argument I always make for Sol Ring is like, Everyone has a chance to run Soul Ring. Everyone has one, and it's a one of a hundred. Um, to use a sports analogy, it's kind of like the green monster in Fenway Park. And, and for those that aren't baseball people, like me, <laughs> there's a giant wall in 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 left field in in Boston. So normally, you if you hit a home run, it goes over the fence. Well, in Boston, it's not it's not really a th thing in that part of the field because there's a giant wall that goes all the way up baseball stadiums can be built with kind of unique dimensions and kind of that give each individual home field its own little like bit of flavor. Soul Ring is kind of that. It's that green monster in Fenway. Detroit has a flagpole that's actually in play in center field. There's a few weird characteristic things in various baseball stadiums that like add a little bit of spice. To me, Soul Ring is that spice. It's a spice that like makes a little bit of a variance in the game that everyone has a chance to experience. If there's two or three or four or six or eight of those, then you're like playing, you know, clown golf. Then like it, it no longer becomes a sport and it just becomes like, I'm going to bounce this off the giant clown face and roll it down the slope into the, you know, the back of the hole. I, I, I so, so that's my defense of soul ring. It's, it's the one weird little bit of flavor that everyone has a chance to experience. And if you have too many of them, then it's chaos. See, I, I'm just amazed by how many sports analogies we've put out today. That's right. like our fourth yeah, one. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I, I, I will also say that, like, another one that I came close to saying was expropriate, um, just because, but, but I think that's one of those things where I just, like, I just think it's such wretched card design. <laughs> and, like, well, the one note I will make, Joey, about the cards you've named, and I think this, this is the thing about Rift, too, I think that they're all cards that I do think people don't have much self-control over mm -hmm. okay. regarding the, how often they use them and in, in the power level in which they use them. I think that's true of Crypt. I think it's true of Rift. I think it's true of Expropriate. I mean, I think that's why Trade Secrets is kind of banned because sure. players don't have a lot <laughs> yeah. of self-control. And, and also for like, yeah. now that especially that CDH has like risen to the status that is now their tournaments, yeah. the collusion and the fact you can't trust two players in a pod to just, okay, we're going to king make. Absolutely, that's why Trade Secrets. Because you look at it, it's like, that doesn't look like, yeah, you'd let the one thing happen and then you don't do it again. But collusion absolutely happens. You can't really trust some people sometimes. So... I, I get why, like, trade secrets would absolutely be banned. 
And, and like sometimes, like I think really like one of the almost nails in the coffin, it's not a true nail in the coffin, but like expropriate sometimes gives me minor trade secrets vibes because of like how helpless you feel when other people say I vote time. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, no, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like you, you want to try and politic before that point and just like, listen, we can't do that. But like if someone else does, it's just like there's there's nothing I could have done from that. You're, you're um, watching one person hand the person who cast <laughs> it just so much value yeah. for so little in return. Uh, yeah, but like at the same time, I'm, I'm I'm not too bothered. It's just like I really just think that the card was like very very poorly designed. But like there is a difference between I don't think a card should have been printed than versus like I think a card should be banned. Yeah, like that's a big yeah. difference to me for sure. So that's why I was I, and so like Mana Crypt, I think that card should have been printed. But like if it went away, I wouldn't be mad. But I'm also not like you know what you gotta do is get rid of like it's I, again just super don't feel strongly about any of this. But like when, when I think about it, that is one of those that I look at and I'm just like. Dana, as you said, the density issue could be an issue. So that's why it kind of springs to mind a little bit. All right. Last but certainly not least, Matt, what would be uh, your pick here for a card to remove from the ranks VDH if you had to pick one? So, I mean, there's a lot of really good options. I think anything that messes with players' mana. So I, I think if Primeval Titan can be banned because it's getting you too many resources, Vornclex for getting you additional resources and denying resources I think Vorinclex has a very good argument to be banned. But again, it kind of like we talked about, it's been around for so long, it's kind of been normalized a little bit. I still think that Turgrid God of Fright is absolutely abhorrent to play against. <laughs> uh, thankfully, the social aspect of the format has really done a very, very good job at regulating Turgrid out. Uh, Turgrid God of Fright is the, the three black black. And all that really matters is the ability of whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Absolutely miserable because all the decks are all built the same. It's kind of like Tiny Bones was when that was first printed. It's all about just making sure your opponents never get to contribute and do anything in the game at all. It's the same reason that Leovold Emissary of Trust was banned. Same reason Hole Breacher was banned because the resource denial on these cards is just absolutely just oppressive to get out from under. All right, Dana, I uh, I think you won our bet behind the scenes because it did take Matt a little bit longer than 10 seconds it did. between when you asked the question and when he said Turgrid. So you win you win our, our secret bet here, buddy. We all knew he was going to say Turgrid. Matt hates Turgrid. We, we, we but I also want to make sure that I'm mentioning other cards. But I, I do, at Turgrid, if there was one card that I just gunned in my head, you have to ban one card, it would be Turgrid. Now, that said, everybody knows just the resource denial is absolutely unfun. I will argue against why Turgrid actually is okay to keep around because stealing resources versus just straight up denying resources is a very, very different monster. Yeah. The fact that Turgrid is taking those permits that it's forcing you to discard, it's actually it actually is furthering a game plan beyond, whereas Leovold, Emissary of Trest, where that was just if you would draw more than one card each turn you just don't and then also it's just very hard to target anything because it also draws a bunch of cards so turgrid is actually like accumulating resources for itself versus a lot of other cards that just actively make sure you don't play the game for the rest of it whether it's looping wheel effects or or just mass discard turgrid when it does that actually has a way to win the games versus the other cards that just don't yeah and, and for whatever reason players who play Turgrid seem to have understood <laughs> that this is the kind of thing that we should clear with the table before we play. They have. Um, yeah. Because I, I would be 100% on board with banning Turgrid if that wasn't the thing that, that like, has happened. For whatever reason, it just seems to have been people have this that that bit of control regarding it and it gets played in places where it's appropriate or where everyone's like, yeah, I'm in the mood for that. Let's, let's give it a go. Um, 
so yeah, it, it, the 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 thing that saved Turgrid, I think, is Turgrid players. Yeah, it's kind of like Draneth Magistrate. Like, is it doing something that is bannably powerful? Is that effect worth banning? Have players shown some restraint? Like, I know that we we joked a little bit earlier about players wouldn't be able to help themselves, but Draneth Magistrate, Turgrid, God of Fright. Thankfully, players have been able to kind of really lean into the social aspect of the format and keep those out of games where they wouldn't really contribute in a in a positive way. So I think this kind of inevitably, like a, a lot of the stuff that we talked about is like cards that self-regulate. Um, and that I think inevitably forces me to ask a little bit, like none of us named Dockside Extortionist, which I think a lot of people, like that's that's probably their first pick. Sure. Um, and Dockside Extortionist, I think there's a strong argument to be made that like, it both does and doesn't self-regulate. Like I've noticed myself taking it out of more of my decks, but it is still showing up in 287,000 lists according to EDH Track. It's got uh, it's showing up in 17% of decks that are eligible to do it. And while its most popular decks that are playing at the highest rate are, of course, CEDH decks, mm -hmm. it still shows up in other spaces. Um, probably not going to necessarily always be as powerful in those other spaces but like is there a line or a threshold at which point this card feels like hmm, maybe i should have picked that as my option in this conversation or i guess ultimately where are you at about this big famous bright neon <laughs> sign is blinking in front of all of our eyes card that often comes up in band discussions it was the other one i was considering over over rift and, and the reason i went with rift is because the price tag on Rift, for whatever reason, is what is one that folks seem like they've been willing to, to pay, or it was cheap enough in the past that they have them, so it shows up in places, whereas mm -hmm. I, I think the price tag on Dockside causes it to be the kind of thing that people have enforced self-control over, maybe, is, is the way I would phrase it. Interesting. I think if Dockside was a was an $8 card, it would be banned. Absolutely, yeah, well, I absolutely. would absolutely be advocating it for it to be banned because it would be in every... People would be just like... People would not be able to control themselves hmm. with Dockside running it in every single deck they had that they could if it was a cheap card. Well, and, and the, the gameplay of thinking about Dockside being an $8 card, it would be a race to see who cast their Dockside last yeah. because all the other players have gotten all the value... So you're building off of their value. Um, I also think smothering tithe in in the just world of what is just getting the most just raw resources for you. I think of smothering tithe. We're always going to be a five dollar card, eight dollar card. I think there'd be a lot more attention on it because it'd be in a lot more places. Because that one also, I and I've, I've said on the podcast before. I think the ratio is off on that one. Having to pay two mana on your own to de deny one mana. I think it should be a one-to-one -one ratio, but it's not arena. We can't just buff or nerf cards willy-nilly like that. So I think both Dockside and Smothering Tithe have arguments that they could be banned just because of what they do to the format and just raw resources that they're giving to the player. I would say at least Tithe you can res you can respond to. Sure. Um, whereas Dockside, like the problem with Dockside for me is the fact that like it just comes down for two mana and generates, you know eight times that much value in a lot of situations <laughs> mm -hmm. and then and then starts getting blinked and, 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 and reanimated and all those kind of things too on top of the crazy amount of value it generates whereas like there's been enough situations where Fighting Tithe comes down and doesn't generate the mana the person paid to cast it a lot of situations that happens whereas like Dockside I've never seen it not generate 
twice as much mana as you put into it immediately. Docs has one of those cards that you look at and it's like, they already got the value, but do I still need to be worried about this? Like, is, mm-hmm. is this secretly going to do some combo stuff later? I'm not sure. And like, that's right. Can be a fun thing to, to play around, to be honest. But it is also a little bit like, huh, it does feel like a different creature uh, f- for that reason. Um, a different creature to Smothering Tithe. I'm using creature metaphorically. I'm not, t- Smothering Tithe is not a creature. I, I know, I know <laughs> a different monster. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for, for me, a thing that kind of like sticks out in my head about Smothering Tithe and like any egregious number of treasure maker kind of spell is that I would like, I I hope, I have hope, I have hope that wizards can design in a way that encourages us to not always have 4 billion treasures in every single game. Um, I think that that is potentially a course correction kind of thing that could happen in future design space. If it doesn't happen, then I will continue to be worried about cards like Dockside. But there is the potential that the format can move around things and we don't need to use a ban as the resort to deal with certain design, uh, individual designs. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a thing that I have my eye on. And I'm, I'm hoping that like down the pike, there's something that is kind of like art. The format can respond to these things in a slightly different way. So one kind of side question here is, once upon a time, there was a thing called banned as commander. So there were some cards that were legal to be used in the 99, but you just just couldn't have them as your commander. What would your thoughts be about bringing back that kind of thing? So like legalizing some cards that could be used in your deck, but you just couldn't have them in the command zone. I mean, I understand why they made that change, but I also, I don't know if that would change the ban list all that much because the commanders or the legendary creatures, I guess you should say, they're pretty bad. Like Emrakul of the Aeon's Torn is absolutely busted, whether it's in the command zone or not. Uh, Rafelos Lanor Emissary mm. is still going to make you a ton of mana, whether it's in the command zone or not. And so I don't know if that would change the ban list all that much, honestly. I think maybe like Golos Tireless Pilgrim might find a way back in, but you couldn't use it as your commander. But honestly, I any legendary creature, I still think would stay banned even if they brought back Bandus Commander. Uh, I I do feel that there's a difference in power level between like this thing's in your command zone, like Braid's in your command zone, the black one that like you can just immediately get it out and then no one has stuff in play for the rest of the game. Like there's an alarming consistency when you've absolutely got access to that right off the bat in a game. Um, And like it could be less powerful when it's in the 99, for example. So I, I think that there is actually a decent argument for some of those examples. The problem is that it would be such a small number of examples that I don't think it justifies rewriting. Yeah. Because information in the commander meta moves slowly, very, very slowly. Because, I mean, even just right now, there are a lot of people who still think that banned as a commander is a thing. Uh, And so keeping it simple, just a a yes, no on off switch feels valuable to me just in terms of the way that information is disseminated. But like, in theory, I would like the idea. it probably sounds pretty wishy-washy of me, but like in theory, I like it. In practicality, I don't know if information moves fast enough for it to work. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I come down as well. Could you do it and have it not be a problem? Absolutely. Is it worth just having like three cards set in this one separate side list that people you know people will have no people would have no problem. I don't think it's it's difficult to understand at all. I don't think that's a problem. It's just why why <laughs> why have this special asterisk to just say you can run Lutri in your ninety nine, but they can't be you know in the in the zone or as a companion or whoever it would be with Lutri. I just don't know if it's it's it doesn't it doesn't feel worth it to me just to bring back a couple of cards that a few people will put in their decks. Yeah, because ultimately, too, they, they got banned for a reason. And so even if it just happened that you had it in your opening hand, you got to cast it on curve, it's still going to do the exact same things whether it came from, you know, you're going to pay command tax on it next time or not. So I 
I struggle to really think that it would make too much of a difference. Is, is it a fun thought maybe, but like, yeah, is, is it worth, as Josh Lee Kwai would say, is the juice worth the squeeze on making this change for the one or two cards that it's going to affect? And I don't think it is. I think, uh, like, you know, we've had a whole conversation about it, and we're throwing that conversation onto the internet to be viewed and listened to by a whole bunch of people. But, like, even as we said at the very start of the show, I don't think we think any of these juices are worth the squeezes. No, <laughs> right, no. yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this is a, a hypothetical, interesting to see, like, where we're coming at this, but there are a lot of factors to consider. And, Matt, I know you said that we were going to get mad about this, but I think we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you still like me. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we, I mean, we disagreed for sure. But I, I mean, that's the thing is it, we definitely don't agree on how we like to build our decks, how we approach the format, just the three of us. And so uh, it's it's fine to have these conversations as long as you just keep in mind, like we're still playing the same game. We're still trying to have fun. The goals are the same. Yeah. And, and, and end of the day, regardless of uh, I think the format's in a very good spot right now. And would yeah. would mm -hmm. banning or unbanning a couple of cards change very much? Probably not. But if it's not going to change anything necessarily, then is it even worth messing around with? I don't think so. And luckily, we've got a, a rules committee and a rules philosophy that, like, if you want to tweak a couple of things here and there with your playgroup, yes, yeah, it's you got that option. It's fun. This is a scaffolding that you can build more stuff into, and it's uh, nice to have th that feeling. It, it's cool. It's all coming back to a, a cool way to have fun. Um, I'm sure we'll hear it from our listeners about stuff we didn't mention. I'm I'm excited to see what people's responses are to this one. Um, keep a level head out there. Don't look foolish, people. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, with that, I think we're gonna call this episode to a close. So, Matt. Uh, if folks want to find you to yell at you for your opinions about Primeval <laughs> Titan, where can they find you, buddy? <laughs> you can tell me how wrong I am on pretty much any social media platform. It's Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5 at all those different outlets. And don't forget, uh, check out Ultima Guard if you want some amazing magic accessories, whether it's deck boxes, sleeves, card storage, all that and more. And Dana, where can people shout at you? You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can yell at me at Joseph M. Schultz anywhere online. Most likely I'm being a fool on Instagram or something like that. And you can find the cast at EDHRECcast everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. If you yell at them, we will be mad at you. Do not yell at Mana Curves. They're terrific. Listeners, will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Hey.